Greetings, everybody. We are super excited to have you all here. And uh, Scott, I'm going to turn it over to you real quick. Yeah, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to another Surf and Sales Bonfire session. We're here today talking with uh, our friends Ian Cognac and Elise Archer. We got Scott Lease and Richard Harris here. We're talking specifically about how to go from six to seven figure AE. And one of the things that we're going to dive into is just the possibility of going from six to seven figures does exist. Not enough people talk about it. I think it's a, a little taboo maybe to talk about. And so we've got a couple of people here in Elise and Ian who've both done it, who kind of thumb their nose at uh, talking about money being taboo and all that kind of good stuff. So welcome to both of you and thanks for everybody uh, for being here. We're sponsored by our good friends at Outreach, Scratchpad, Sandoso, Vidyard, and MedRep Meeting. We appreciate all their support. So, Richard, yes. kick it off, dude. Get us started. All right. So the first thing, we always love to know uh, where people are dialing in from. So feel free to utilize the chat. Um, go tell us where you're coming in from. Uh, you're welcome to tell us uh, your title. You're welcome to tell us your company if you're comfortable doing that. Um, this is a safe space, so we want to make sure people are comfortable. Uh, would love for more people to come on to video. It's way more engaging and way more fun. If you have questions, um, feel free to absolutely jump in and raise your hand. Feel free to uh, ping Scott and I directly. We'll make sure that it happens. Um, you're welcome to come off mute. And if you're like, hey, I want to ask this question anonymously, um, you know, just send it to Scott and I. And we'll make sure it's, it's anonymized for you. So uh, feel free to go and, and let us know where you're dialing in from and let's get started. So um, I think the, the first question for you, Elise, we'll, we'll start with Elise, is when did you realize this was something that was important to you? Mm. And I don't know that I mean greed-wise. Like, when did this become a goal? And then, Ian, I would love to hear your answer on this, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so for me, I was, and this is part of why I'm so passionate now about helping my clients really expand to their fullest potential financially, because part of my story is I was stuck at the same level for 10 years financially. And for me, that was like the very low six figure level. And no matter what I did, I couldn't seem to break out of it. And then look like a six figure income is great, right? For a long time, for me, that was the goal. That was the vision. And I think for many of us, when you haven't done that yet, you think, well, when I can just get there, life is going to be good. Right. <laughs> and then oftentimes we get there and we realize in today's world, depending on what type of a life you desire to live, it's not really going to cut it. Right. It's not what it used to be. Six figures isn't what it used to be. And so for me, it, you know, it was a bit of a journey. Um, but just but did the, you say, the, did you say, Hey, I'm making 150, 200, I want to get to a half million. I want to, or was it like, I want that seven figure. I want, you know, I want yeah. those commas, you know? <laughs> so, so for me, and I think this is really key with whatever a financial goal is, it can't be so much about the money. It's money is just a tool. So it was more about what is the money going to do for me? So my, one of my mentors and coaches at the time had me go through this exercise called your five dream lives. And I thought it was just going to be some really innocent, you know, kind of random coaching exercise, but it actually really flipped a lot on its head for me. And essentially, I think it's a Kathy Heller original exercise. So I always like to give her credit for it, but essentially you, you write, if I could have any five dream lives, what would they be? And you think back to what did you want to do in childhood that you said, well, that's not reasonable or that's not realistic. Or even now, what do you think about kind of in your off time and think, gosh, if I could just do that, or if I could start over, that would be my most fulfilling life. And I went through this and things started to show up for me that I had thought were totally unrealistic or that were for somebody else and not for me. It was things like creating an animal sanctuary, uh, being able to retire my husband who was working night shift at a hospital at the time. So he could go pursue his dream of studying for medical school um, giving larger amounts of money to causes I cared about. And when I went through that exercise, there was just something in it that struck me where I realized I was the only one holding myself back 
from going for that more expansive, fuller life. And it also struck me that the six figures I was bringing in at the time wasn't going to cut it for those visions. So I kind of, to me, it, it wasn't so much about the money. It was about, I wanted to experience the fullness of what was possible for me in life. And I knew that was going to require more money and more resources to do that. And I just made that commitment and made that decision then and there that I was going to say yes to whatever it took to get there. And so I'll, I'll kind of pause there because along with that, there often comes like some scary actions and some things we have to do commitment wise to shift out of any level of stuckness that we've been at, which again, I'll, I'll pause because I want to give space for Ian to speak to. Um, but that was really what, what shifted things for me. Let me try to move the conversation over to Ian. So Elise made a, made a really good point about kind of being, she used the word stuck, but I would say kind of plateaued, let's say, at this particular level. <clears throat> and I think all of us get plateaued at some sort of level first. Ian, I want to send it over to you because I had this interesting uh, mini debate yesterday with somebody about whether you need to have confidence first in order to, in order to achieve something or you need to achieve the thing which then gives you confidence. Yeah. So where does the belief kick in for you? Because I think it's really important. And, and some of us who grew up in middle of nowhere, broke, you know, towns and homes, and all this kind of stuff, nobody in my world ever mentioned seven figures. It was never in the realm of possibility. So where does having the belief that it's possible and the belief in yourself, how do you get that? Where does it come from and which one comes first? Well, it's funny um, because it's like the chicken and the egg, right? If you don't believe it's possible, you're not going to take the right actions to go make it happen. And and just like Elise, I, I had plateaued um, and I actually didn't have necessarily people that were mentoring me or guiding me um, my first year when I made seven figures. The reason that I wanted to do that uh, specifically was because I... Uh, had missed quota three years in a row. And, and for me, I was just like, so my identity was so wrapped in my income and my performance. And I was making between two and 300,000. It wasn't like I was making a bad living, but there were people at Salesforce making seven figures. And I didn't understand how I had tried to hustle and grind and, you know, basically missed my quota that third year, the last day of the year. And it was just devastating. I looked in my mirror and it was just the worst pain I could feel. And at that point, that's when the mindset shift happened where I became open and receptive to learn from others. And that's a key shift. You have to have a mindset where you say, what I think I know ain't shit. What I think is needed is actually wrong. And that takes really humbling yourself and going to this beginner's mind. So the, the answer to the question is you need to be at a place where you are receptive to mentorship and to, you know, taking really taking the advice of others to heart. And at that point, you just need to trust the process. So when that happened to me, that's when I became um, a student and I invested $20,000 of my own money to join a mastermind program. And what they taught me wasn't how to make seven figures. What they taught me is how to um, think bigger for myself, have a long-term vision, make it not so much about me, but about serving others and, and become the person who's capable of making seven figures. And that was the year I finished number one at Salesforce and I made seven figures. Now that sparked a belief Having done it now, my standard, my internal thermostat, if you will, got raised. So now I saw myself as a seven-figure identity. And since that time, I've made around seven figures, um, give or take, you know, a couple years above, a couple years slightly below, four of the past six years. Because my identity now was wrapped in someone who is a seven-figure earner. And that determined my actions, who I spent time with, what I worked on. Um, you know, and, and, and fundamentally, it's like once you slay your dragon, once you cross that threshold, you will never go back because your standards are higher. So it's the answer is both, right? You have to achieve it sometimes to see it's possible, but you also need to be in a mindset where you are receptive and open to learning, you know, from other people and, and doing exactly what they say, which is going to have to occur before you you actually cross that 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 threshold. I think we I think we retitled this episode uh, "What You Know Ain't Shit," according to Dean. So, how to go from six to seven figures? Um, so I so Ian was there. We all grew up in different 
I don't know, eras of sales. Like, so when I was growing up in sales and I can literally say last century, you know, nobody talked about anything. Nobody said, well, how did you, you know, if you, 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 it was faux pas to say, well, how did you, how'd you close that deal? And certainly if someone asked, it was like, I, I don't know. I just got blah, 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 right. Like there was no sharing of knowledge. Um, when you went to this mastermind thing, and then you work at this amazing company, Salesforce, which is super progressive on so many levels, was that not something that was sort of taught? And, and granted, you know, you may have been earlier at Salesforce before they became the Salesforce we all know, right? Like, you know, depending on how many employees and teams, but was it not talked about in that organization? And do you think that was like what I was saying? It was the mindset or was it just like, everybody's just grinding so hard that we just didn't talk about it? I think people are, and, and this isn't just Salesforce, I think in, in right. sales in general, B2B tech sales, software sales specifically, um, people are so busy trying to execute on a daily basis that they don't take a step back to assess and to plan you know, what they need to do to actually make seven figures. So while some people may have, you know, there's rumors or big deals, and certainly there was some sharing of those big deals, the actual like daily actions and, and the, you know, account planning, for example, say, well, do your account plan. Well, well how is that account planning actually going to help you build a, you know, eight figure deal that leads to a seven figure commission? Well, that, that link wasn't exactly there. That's where I joined the mastermind and in, in meeting people that were actually making seven figures and, and also meeting people, um, what they call, what they said to me, which, which I'll just share one, one tip from that year is they said, you need mentors, but you also need running mates. You need running mates that are running alongside that are your peers to kind of guide you in what they're doing. So um, it, it's like mentor, running mate, and then mentee. And so one of the things I did is I found the top guy at Salesforce and he, his name, his name was Brian. And every quarter he was the top of the leaderboards in our division. And I just told him like, Hey buddy, I have so much respect for you. You know, I love that you're so consistent. Would you, would you be open to, you know, me meeting with you? And, and we met, we clicked and he was just an open book, you know, sharing his deals, his playbooks, his templates, his business case. And like, I think that's so key is like people are willing to share and to help, but you've got to be really resourceful and seeking them out and really putting yourself out there and being vulnerable and, you know, sharing why you need help, sharing your story and, you know, making it, um, you know, win-win for them as well to, to invest in you. And I've kind of followed that playbook for, for six years and always found the, the top people and really just put my, I did that with Scott, right. When I was thinking of starting my own business, reached out to him and, you know, so should I go become a CRO or should I go start on my own? And he was just super helpful because of the way that I think I presented, you know, why I wanted to talk to him. So I, I think it's not at the company's responsibility to kind of teach this and no one's really talking about it. It's really up to the individual to go pursue it and find the right people that can help you and, and not stop until you have that network, you have that, you know, resource to, to really be the running mate and the mentor. Both of those things are really important. Now I'm offended you called Scott, not me. Gosh, I may have to leave. I didn't know you at the time. This was like two or three years ago. And I was thinking of like advising CROs or something. And I saw him as the advisor guy. And anyway, it was, yeah, it was a long story. But Richard, I will, I will call you separately. Because I know, I know we can talk about it. <laughs> the, running, the running mates point is a, is a fantastic one. And uh, Ian and I have this relationship now. I, I'm sure he's comfortable with me sharing where I'll just send him my number that I made this particular month or what I'm tracking for on the year. And he'll send me his, and I have that kind of running mate relationship with a number of different people where you're kind of, you know, pushing each other and also trying to beat each other. But like, if I was, if I had that kind of relationship with Elise, it's not like I'm trying to beat her 100 to zero. It's like, I want to beat you 100 to 99.5. Right. It's like that kind of, kind of thing. So uh, at least I'm gonna throw it, throw it back to you here. Ian sort of said that it's not the company's responsibility, but there's something about the company and how to pick the right company that I think even makes this possible. So Ian, you know, his journey is through Salesforce. This is one of the best companies, you know, arguably of all time, right? And that has an environment a deal size, arguably, or a culture where this is possible. 
Can you talk a little bit about how you identify the right place to go to put you in line for this? Because not everybody is at one of those places. So it's not like necessarily everybody here right now today can be like, I'm going to make six figures tomorrow. There's a little bit of a path and somebody might have to go from where they are now to someplace else and eventually land in that spot. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, for sure. And I, I think for me, if I were in, you know, if I, if I were in AE right now and I had a vision of creating a bigger life for myself and more financial abundance, I, I personally, so I wouldn't lead with that. And I think this is really key. I would lead with who is in alignment? Like this is to me that you have to check this box first for you to be able to be fulfilled and successful where you're going. So is the company that I'm working at, are they in alignment with what I believe in? Am I passionate and lit up about selling this? And I just say this because, you know, Ian Richards, I'm sure you all encounter this too, as you're working with sales reps and sales teams. Like when there's not a fit, when you feel like you can't, authentically and honestly represent the company and what you're selling and feel good about it. It doesn't matter if you can make seven figures there or not. There's a part of your soul that's going to feel like it's dying and you're going to eventually probably come to Jesus and get out. Right. So I think really looking there for that alignment and that fit, but then Scott, to your point, I think having a convert, like looking ahead of time at the compensation plan and saying, can this happen? Like, can I, can I build this right within the, um, within the way the plan is structured. And I'm coaching some clients right now in one of my higher level masterminds, which is specifically for women who want to scale to multi six or seven figures. And some of them they're in there and they're like, I see 100% how I can do this within my company. And some are saying I would literally like, it is possible, but I think I will hate my life by the end of the amount of work I'll have to do to get there or it's just not even possible. So I think always, always, always alignment first from a cultural standpoint, and then back that up with, can I achieve my financial vision here? And if not, is it a deal breaker? Because you can have a side hustle, you can create additional income streams, right? Depending on the way the company is created. But I think, again, I've been out of the AE world for a while. So Ian, you can maybe even speak to this better than I, I'm sure there are companies out like Salesforce is a great example of a company where you can build this. I know there are others as well. Um, is there anything else? I actually want to kick it back to Ian. Is there anything else you would say in terms of looking for a company? I, I just put it in the chat, but like, you just have to be driving the right vehicle here. Here's the two things like very, very tactically, I would say the two ways or, or the criteria that you um, and, and this should be obvious for everyone, but it's not uh, the two ways that you can like help your case in, in well, three ways, really. Um, the first is, is what are the top earners making at that company? You want to find out, you know, if, if the path has been paved, you don't want to be the first to pave the path, right? Ideally. So you can go on RepView, R-E-P-V-U-E, and literally see what top earners are making, what percentage of quotas are making. So you want to go to a company, not only that you believe in, you know, I went to Salesforce after using Salesforce as a director of sales, managing 80 people and seeing the power of the platform. So I could tell that story and, you know, connect. So I, I love what Elise shared. But in addition to that, you want to make sure that people are successful in the product that actually can, can support big deals that make you seven figures. Um, so RepView is great for that. The, the, the next component um, is, is really the tactical on target earnings. So you, you want to try to get what I've seen is like two to 300 K is really the range of an OTE that can lend itself to six figures when combined with the third ingredient, which is or seven figures, which is your quota. So the combination of a high OTE in a reasonable quota is what lets you blow it out in, in accelerators too. You have to look at the comp plan and see what the accelerators are because if they cap your commissions or if you know they don't have accelerators over hundred percent or you know stuff like that, you know it, it, it limits it limits your opportunities. So the big thing I do with all of my coaching clients is we literally go through their comp plan, figure out what they want to make, and then work backwards and figure out how much they need to sell when you factor in accelerators and, and bonuses and really get the math to support getting to seven figures. And if you have a quota of $4 million a year and you need to be at 250% of plan to hit seven figures, that means you got to sell 10 million. That's 
probably not going to happen for 99.99% of people unless maybe you're at like an Oracle or a Salesforce or something selling the biggest accounts. So that won't work. So you've got to make sure the math works in the simple combination is high OTE as possible with the lowest quota as possible. I've seen people blow it out of the water when they have quotas between one and one five and OTEs close to 300. You are, your, your path to seven is much, much easier than the person with $3 million quota in the 300K OTE. So that's a key thing to think about on the tactical level. Richard, you're on mute. If you know the joke and you've been here a while, this happens at least once every episode. This is about <laughs> our 361st episode. Richard, you're on mute. There's the coffee mug, everybody. <laughs> Richard, you're on mute. Go ahead, Richard. My off mute testing, you know, Scott, it's a great joke, except Scott always mutes me. Like that's what people don't know. So I always like to blame Scott, hashtag blame Scott. That's how I live my life. Um, couple of questions um, coming from the audience. So, so Terrace, I, and I hope I said your name right. Uh, please correct me if wrong. Feel free, you know, what's your question? Let, let's, let's get to Yeah, that. actually, um, I was hearing her talk about, and I'm sorry, I don't want to pronounce your name wrong, but my name's Taurus, to be correct. Taurus. But I was hearing her talk about alignment. And I was thinking about for the, the new reps who may not understand alignment, what some of those things, and Ian touched on a couple of those things as he kind of go into it. But What's some of those things that you want to stand out in front of you, other than compensation, other than OTE, other than the culture fit, anything else for the new AE who wants to learn a little bit more and want to make sure that they're aligned? Yeah. Open uh, question too for anyone. Sorry about that. Totally, yeah, totally. Taurus, I, so I'll, I'll share and then I'll, I'll kick it over um, to Ian and, and Richard right. and Scott. And I think it's a it's a great question. When I was early on in my journey, and my name's Elise too, just so I, I appreciate you asking. Um, when I was early in my journey, you know, I really, I was so focused on just making the money. And so I went to what's the opportunity where I can go and make the most and have the lifestyle and yada, yada. And so that's what I looked for because I didn't have that deeper level of just self yet to know that things outside of that were important. And so I would find myself, you know, making decent money, but dealing with anxiety and panic attacks and, you know, call reluctance and just not enjoying the process because there were things about the way the company was structured or how they wanted us to sell that didn't feel right and didn't feel like it was an integrity and just seeing like behind the scenes of how some things were run, I didn't feel good about selling every customer, but you've still got the quota and the pressure to hit it. And so when I say alignment, I, I kind of think about if you took money off the table, like what do you believe in? What matters to you? What's the culture? Like where, where does it feel like family, right? And I think from that place, then using all the great tips that Ian shared for looking at how can I build and grow into the income target I want to hit here from that place, you, you'll have that really powerful alignment. So I, I hope that helped maybe provide some perspective. And Ian, if you want to add anything. Yeah, I'll just add, like, are you excited about how you can help your customers? I mean, that, that to me, like if I'm selling, no offense to anyone selling, um, you know, testing automation for developers because I have some clients that sell that and I'm coaching, but, but I couldn't get that excited about helping developers get testing automation done faster. So like, for me, it's going to reach that plateau where you're just rinse and repeat. You're just rinse and repeat, but being at a company like Salesforce, you know, we had a giant toolbox. So if, it, if there was a marketing challenge, we can go in with marketing cloud, or if it was analytics, you know, we had Tableau and that was really, for me, it was like the sales cycle was different every time the solutions were different. I can really go deep with the business to figure out how I can help them. So it felt very consultative and that's why I stayed there nine years. So I think it's important in general to like, you don't have to like live, breathe and sleep your passion for the product, but you need to believe that you can help clients and really feel good about the outcomes you can deliver for clients. Because if you believe it, that belief will transfer over to your clients. So that's what I think of with alignment is, can I really get excited about showing up and, you know, helping my clients in the areas that my company promises to do so? And if you can't, or if it's just like, eh, whatever, like it's probably not going to sustain for, for the long term. So that that's what alignment means to me. Thank you both for that. Um, maybe I should 
just hold on a little longer because I'm not that excited right now, but maybe I will be a little longer. So, you know, I mean, I'm just starting out at my company. Hold on, man. Go find it. Well, hold, well, on. hold on, hold on, hold on. He said he just, he just got there. Absolutely. So, Absolutely. so you don't, you don't, you don't have to be open. So let me take a step back for a second. Depending on where you're at, there are steps and a progression. What I said before was, I'm going to stand by it. Not everybody can just all of a sudden flip the switch and you go make seven figures and you're super excited about where you are right now. Okay. So think about it in terms of a progression. Use where you are right now in order to get one step closer to maybe what this whole topic of conversation is on. And that next gig, maybe you get one step closer. And I think it's about preparation and understanding what to do and where to place yourself. So when you do have that right moment in time at that right place, bang, you can make it happen. One more thing. What I mean by that? Yeah, I want to. I want to add to what you're saying, Scott, because I think this is where people screw up. And and honestly, I'm. This is the one thing I would say I'm very good at is this concept of embracing the suck. Okay, if you if you can just not like look at it as it has to be this glorious, amazing thing. And like, cause nothing in life is, is just truly, there's always going to be parts of any, any job or role, or, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur or a salesperson, it doesn't matter. There's going to be parts, which you simply don't like, but if you can actually understand what you're getting from the current role and be all in, in that role, regardless of where you are in your career, that that's the thing that I've always done to continue progressing. So if you're a BDR, for example, like really embrace getting very good at prospecting and getting very good at, you know, building resilience and getting very good at planning and executing and getting very good at mastering your mind and all the things you struggle with. And there's gifts there that are going to be building blocks for what you do next. And that's just factual. So it's not about arriving per se at the nirvana because part of this like idea uh, is that we're never arriving. We're always developing ourselves and building ourselves. And I think that is how multimillionaires think and they're never like fully content, right? And they've never reached where they want to go. They're always aspiring. So if you can pull what you need to get, that's going to be skills, frankly, that will serve you in any capacity in any company in the future, then go all in. And when you're stopped growing, that's when you need to go, okay, well, maybe it's time for me to go somewhere else. At least that's how I always looked at like, when do I make a change? Have I maxed out here? Am I done growing? If so, yeah, I'm going to do something else within or outside of the company. Thanks for, thanks for flagging my question, Richard. And thank you three for answering. Yeah, no worries. No worries. We've got a, we've got another question. Um, John White had to jump, but he wants us to ask because he wants to go catch the recording. I actually like the question. It's really good too, uh, which is, you know, do you focus more on top earners or median attainment to see what's possible for earnings when you're, I think when he's in his context is when you're looking at these other places, right? How do you judge that, right? Like where, where you're, where you're looking for comp plans and those kind of things. How do you see, how do each of you see that? I, I mean, I, I said it in the chat. I'll just repeat it here. I would never look at what median numbers are. If you want to be at the top, don't look at what everybody in the middle is doing. I mean, that's that's all I have to yeah, say. It's like going in and like asking what the average earner makes here. Like, do you want to be average or like you want to set your sights at the top? That's what, hence why I reached out to Scott when I was thinking of going off in my own business, right? Because I saw what he was doing and some of the stuff he published. And, and again, it's like that's you got to aim high. You got to aim high and you got to like set your standards high. So if you're looking at the average, I, I would say you're probably looking at the wrong place. The set your standard piece is really important. And again, it comes to belief and mindset. It's like, why do I want to know more about what the average person does? Mm -hmm. I'm sort of psychologically preparing myself and comparing myself against what this average is. I want to get excited, don't I? Don't I want to dream about what's possible? Well, if I want to dream about what's possible and get excited about what's possible, I want to know what the number one person earned. And if there's a particular number like seven figures, I want to know how many people got over seven figures. And then I'm going to try to talk to all those people because I want that spark that they have. That's what I want to learn from. So I totally, totally agree with yeah, I, I want to just suggest, you know, when Scott and I first met, I went to work for him. Um, cause he took a chance on me, although I never interviewed him, which is a whole other story. But, um, <laughs> I'm here for the humor folks. I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be the light guy, but Scott really practiced this. He would tell people all the time, Hey, you know, we had a big sales board, like 60 people. And he'd be like, Hey, so-and-so did this. So-and-so did this. If I'm you, 
I'm taking so-and-so to coffee and asking them how they did it. Mm-hmm. So for, for, you know, like, and now back then we couldn't, um, I don't know, Scott, maybe we always had to pay for the coffee, but I don't know, maybe as a well, little, maybe could as a or couldn't never really entered the equation back then. Right. We probably just did. Yeah. So anyway, so I say that one for people to hear, like, that's a really good way because culture matters as you're looking at the team and finding the passion in those places. But for those who are in leadership here, by the, offer it up. You know? Yeah, you should offer it up if you're in leadership. And by the way, if you're in an interview process, you can ask these questions. Whenever I was in an interview with somebody and they asked this question about like, what did the number one person make or what did the average? I had a whole spreadsheet and I blacked out the names and I put the spreadsheet up on the screen and shared my screen. And I was like, this is actual data, real time right now. You can see everybody, ask me any question you want. Full transparency about what's possible, what most people are doing, all that kind of stuff. So I think if you can, if you can do that and you, and you meet with somebody who's sharing this information freely, like that is a good sign that it's a supportive kind of culture and you've got a supportive leader that is trying to help everybody make the best decision that's in it, you know, for them. And you get a real snapshot of what actually is possible rather than somebody just bullshitting you. Right. So I, go ahead, go ahead, Elise. Yeah. So I was just going to say real quick, this to me, it, it builds on what Ian said earlier about the community, right. And everyone has a financial set point, like each one of you right now, you have a financial set point. And if you want to know what it is, look at what you made last year. Look at what you're on track to make this year. That is, it's like you have a built-in thermostat for how much you're comfortable making. Now you can raise it. And this is the thing, but you've got to be looking at, don't look at the median. If you want to raise it, look at what are the people at the top doing? That's what I heard Ian said about his journey. What is like, drop the ego. What is the person at the top doing and focus on that. And that's, that was a huge part of my journey too, was just starting to get in the company of people who were seven figure earners investing a buttload of money at the time to be in their company, which is the other commonality with Ian, which I want to share because there was some conversation in the chat about mentors and how do I work with a mentor? I firmly believe you have to have something on the line. Like if you're stuck at a certain level and you don't do something that gets something on the line for you, where you have burned the ships and made a decision, this is happening no matter what. And that's going to be different for everybody. It could be investing an amount that's uncomfortable for you to work with a mentor so you can learn how they think at that level. It can be a public declaration of I'm doing this, this is happening, hold me accountable, right? But getting it on the line and then getting in the company of people who think like that, you will raise your thermostat and your financial set point and you'll start to see it as actually possible for you. Ian, right. I feel like you wanna- Yeah, yeah, I wanna jump in. Just just, yeah. just a simple way to put it is like, you're only gonna change, this comes from Tony Robbins, when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of changing. So you have to be in pain or else you're just gonna sit and be comfortable and you're fine and you're comparing yourself to average American who might make 60,000 a year per household and be 40, you know, be, be, be a certain level of health and life expectancy and income. And it's like, oh, I'm doing great. Well, compared to what, right? Who are you comparing yourself to? So I think I think you need to be in pain fundamentally in order to actually take action, to invest in yourself, right? And so when I, I, I don't think anyone knows this, but Elise was a former mentor of mine, right? When I started my own brand, uh, she was my personal branding coach through an organization. And I was making great money at Salesforce. And I kept telling her like, I don't know if I can do this. Can I make the same money? Can I, you know, I was so scared of of jumping and leaving what I knew where I was comfortable. And Elise looked at me, this was, gosh, this was uh, in 2019. And and she said, Ian, you're going to do great because that's who you are. It doesn't matter whether you're in Salesforce or you're on your own business or whatever you're doing, you are going to figure it out and and make it work because that's where your standards are. And she was so right. And now I'm actually doing more than what I ever did in, in working for another company financially. So it's like, she saw that, right? She saw that. So if you're the person whose thermostat is already raised, you are going to be able to go in. But the only way to raise that internal thermostat, there's there's two simple ways. The first is surround yourself with people who are doing 
doing and performing at a higher level through a mastermind, through mentorship, through going to coffee with them. The second is you've got to set bigger goals. You have to. If your goals are $2 million and you've been making one six, you're not going to triple your income. Sorry. So my goal when I made seven figures was to sell $4 million. And the biggest I'd ever sold before that was one, one three-ish. So I was going to be triple what I ever sold. Well, that year I sold five seven. So by raising your goals, right? You force yourself to get uncomfortable and to take action and to have a plan that you can follow that will enable you to back into that goal. So if you want to run and get really good shape, set a goal of running a half marathon or a marathon or whatever, and that's going to force you to train to get to that. And then that's now your baseline. And then you can run an ultra marathon. So that's kind of how this works when you're talking about raising the thermostat. All right. I'm going to, I'm going to jump in because we got two more questions coming from the audience. Um, and then Scott uh, has a question about the dark side of all this. So there's your anticipation. And I got to hang out because that'll be the, one of the fun ones. Uh -oh. um, but, <laughs> exactly. And Elise has the evil laugh, <laughs> um, which, is, which is great. So I'm trying to pull up Monique's question from the chat, which is, hey, it's easy to talk about mentors and coaches when you're in employment. Um, it's, it's different, though, when you are job searching after a long hiatus, which is her scenario. Um, these ideas cost loads of monies to gain momentum, and she spends a lot of time learning, but finds it stressful to reach out. Uh, a majority will not do it for free. So how do I get traction without looking for sounding like I'm whining? And um, the reason I'm asking this, by the way, she's just in a very loud environment. So, um, you know, I, I'm curious. I've got answers to this, but um, we'll turn it over to, to Ian and Elise. I think we've talked about it a little bit, but we'll maybe give her some recommendations of other places to go to find those things. Ian, you want to go first? I'm going to go in first a bunch. You, uh, okay. I, I would just say again, I, I can't relate in the sense where I haven't been on a long hiatus being in unemployment. So what, what I share is like, it just comes down to being resourceful, right? You, you really have to, you could even say that, right? I've taken people in my program that couldn't afford it because their situation was very unique and I wanted to help them. And maybe they shared, they struggle with addiction or this and that. And I reached out and I helped people for free, right? So the more vulnerable you can be with your request and the more targeted, I think the more open people will be to help you. Um, and there's plenty of places to, to learn for free, but learning to a certain extent without doing is, is just going to leave you more and, and more frustrated. You have to learn by doing, right? So if you can consume a bunch of content on how to find the right company or interview, but then you're not actually executing and personalizing and reaching out to hiring managers and connecting your network and doing that, then, then again, you're not going to experience the gift that comes from, you know, learning by doing. So resourcefulness and, and execution and just focusing on the process of, of executing and making progress every day. That, that's where I would advise you, Monique. Go ahead, Elise. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I think this is where Monique, you get to be so in your power and you get to decide that you're no longer available to be in a situation that doesn't feel good to you. And so what I would do, and this is for any goal that you have for everyone here, whether it's, I want to make seven figures this year, whether it's, I want to get a job, I want you to reverse engineer it, right. And pick your date. I'm so happy and grateful now that it's blank date. And I have, you know, I have my job and these are the characteristics and then every single day, Monique, you need to start looking at what would a woman who has this outcome do? How would she be thinking today? How would she be feeling today? What actions would she be taking? And it's going to require some stretchy action. It's going to require doing things and reaching out to people that feels uncomfortable and being okay with hearing no, being okay with, you know, someone not replying but it's going to be that because I firmly believe every challenge in our life is shaping us and refining us into the person who we are designed to be, who has the eventual outcome that we, that we desire. So it's those actions. You're going to literally, you got to make it about who am I becoming in the process and how am I going to do things in a different, in a stretchier way, in an uncomfortable way where I grow in this process along the way, but every single day do something that makes you uncomfortable do stuff where you're like, Ooh, the old Monique wouldn't have done this. Like this feels stretchy. This feels uncomfortable, but I'm going to do it. Take those action steps, work backwards from the goal. You will get there. You're the only one in control of your destiny and you can do it. 
I want to, I want to add something because Elise talked about taking action. Um, and I'm going to be the not supportive one here. I'm going to play bad cop on you right now. There's a little bit of a victim mentality. Like I don't have a mentor. I don't have a job. I don't have a coach. All these people won't do it for free. Well, what are you doing for them? Do you know how many people reach out to me every single day and say, Hey, I want to pick your brain. I want 30 minutes of your time. I want this. I want that. I want this. I want the other. You know how many people reach out to me and say, Hey, Scott, you're probably slammed. Do you have any extra things that I can help you with? Just trying to grow and build my network and learn some new skills. Almost nobody. Do you know who gets a reply every single time? That person. One of those people is my good friend now, Ryan Walker, who reached out to me a couple of years ago with one note on LinkedIn that said, hey, love the things that you do. Looks like you got a lot going on. What can I do to help you? And I wrote back and said, are you serious? You got time for any of this? He's like, absolutely. We ended up writing a book together and now we just released a digital course together. So who are you reaching out to, trying to build relationships with, offer services of any kind? You know, what can you do to help Elise in her business? What can you do to help Ian in his business? What can you do to help Richard in his, mine, Larry's, whoever's, right? You should be adding people on LinkedIn, 10, 20 people every single day. You're already doing things to learn, like going to webinars like this, great. You should be in every freaking sales community and revenue community that there is, interacting with people, networking with people. Because right now your sphere of, and your circle of influence is maybe like, yay, big. You got to go like this. You're fishing in like one small pond as opposed to fishing in the whole fucking ocean. So there's specific things that you can do that you are in control of to change your situation a little bit. They might take a little bit of time, but they don't require no money. You can do all those things the same way other people have done. All right. That's not even the dark part Scott wants to bring up, just so everybody knows. Um, <laughs> have another question for from Amy. And it's not that I want to shift us off this conversation from Amy, but I'm just conscious of time as we get through this. Um, so Amy Lynn, do you want to ask yeah, another question? Sure. Yep. Thank you. Um, so this question is mostly for Ian, but I guess open to anybody who uh, has a response, but to your point about embracing the suck, especially in longer like enterprise sales engagements where sometimes it could be a year, two years, three years. Um, how do you define or measure being all in every day to, to maintain the positive mindset and kind of keep going? Yeah, you came, to, you came to the right place, honestly. Like, look, if you're in enterprise sales, which probably a lot of people are if they're trying to make seven figures, because that's where a lot of it comes from, your sales cycles could be six, nine months, a year, longer in some cases. And you need to give yourself daily wins in order to celebrate. And so it, it, for me, it's super simple. You focus on the process, not the prize. So what is the process, right? The process is setting goals for the day, specifically that advance or create pipeline in your areas, right? For me, it's that simple. It's called RGAs, call them what you want, revenue generating activities, money-making activities, in enterprise selling, there's so many things you could be doing that advance deals. You could be making new connections. You could be working on a business case. You could be, you know, finding similar case studies. You could be um, potentially, you know, writing, uh, aligning your executives with their executives. I, I have a whole course on this because it's not, unfortunately, taught that much. And the truth is that that you know, if you're sitting around waiting for things to happen and come to you, you're going to have a lot of white space in the calendar and you're going to feel really crappy at the end of the day. So you need to win the day. If you can win the day consistently by focusing on RGAs, right? You will feel good at the end of the day and you will sleep better at night because you know, you're not just being reactive. You're being proactive for anybody who wants help with this. There's a great tool I use. It's called the 12 week year. I use it every single week. It's actually right What's here, called, Ian? the 12 week year. So part of this, I can drop this um, in the chat too. It, it's a weekly scorecard. And at the beginning of every week, I set my goals for the week, top goals. And then I actually prioritize them. I rank the goals one through however many there are. And then I check them off as I go. Very different than a to-do list because this is a prioritization list. It forces you to plan and prioritize. And then beginning of each day, I fill in the white space in my calendar with my priorities. And I'm like, great, 
I'm busy. I got stuff to do versus like twiddling my thumbs or not knowing what to do. For me, that's how you stay, you know, with great momentum because you can win every day. You can set goals every day. And, and the biggest benefit, frankly, comes outside of work. You can sleep well at night. You have less anxiety outside of work, knowing you used your time the most efficiently that you could and you advanced the things that you wanted to, right? Because we feel bad when we don't keep our promises to ourselves. So if we make a promise in the beginning of the day, here's what I'm going to do today, and you execute, you're going to feel good. And you, the long-term outcomes are just inevitable. So th that's how I uh, I look at it, is focus on the process every day, not the prize, win the day, win the week, win the month, win the quarter, win the I just want to know, Ian, how you have white space on your calendar that you can fill each day, because my calendar is fucking jacked. Yeah, there's there's not that much. It's usually a couple blocks, but like it used to be, it's a lot in enterprise sales, right? So you, you're gonna, that's the biggest thing I see with my clients all day is just like time wasted or maybe just reacted. It's not like they're wasting. They're just fooling themselves into saying I'm busy, but that's not busy and productive are two very different things. So you wanna make sure you're focused on the right activities, which are really, you know, finding and advancing the biggest deals and in, in really making sure you're executing on those deals. And if you don't have the deals, it's, Good old prospecting, right? Personalized, relevant prospecting. So again, if you just simplify it down to is what I'm doing an RGA or not, and then cut the crap that is not RGA, say no to the distractions, the pointless meetings, the you know the busy work, and say yes to RGAs, you're going to succeed. And, and it really is that simple. It's not easy, but it requires changing your habits. You might need to do a little dopamine detox, get rid of your phone, delete Instagram, all the things that distract you, right? Say no to some people that are just asking to pick your brain. But at the end of the day, you're going to free up a lot of time to focus on what matters most. So I'll drop in, I'll drop in the the, the link to the 12 week year in the chat here, so you guys can have it. I want to, awesome. I want to ask Elise a question, and then we'll get Ian's thoughts as we kind of start to move towards winding down here a little bit. I want to talk about the potential dark side to all of this achievement, all this attainment, and all that kind of thing. Once you hit a particular level and you get used to this particular level, it's very, very difficult pill to swallow, to go down, back down the elevator, or fall below this particular level. I'm curious if either of you have experienced that, and how does one kind of deal with that? You push so hard to get to this place, and then, oh shit, you couldn't quite maintain it. How do you get back up there and how do you talk to your, yourself and make your, you know, make it so you don't feel suddenly like a failure when you would have moved heaven and earth to get to this place before? And now all of a sudden you fall back, I don't know, 10, 20 percent, even from where you were, which is way more than you used to be. But the narrative that you're telling yourself has changed. How do you deal with that? Yeah, I think a few things. And this is why people won't go for it. Right. This is this is part of why people won't go for it, because they think, wow, well, like, you know, there's going to be some amount of pain involved or what if I can't keep it, et cetera. Here's what I have to say. If you're here on this call, if you have a desire for more, that's because it's meant for you. Is it a 100 percent easy path? No. But is the path that you're on right now 100 percent easy either? No. So you get to decide which one you want to live. I think a few core things. Number one. You cannot tie your identity in the amount of money you make. This is really, really important. I was coaching a client earlier this year who had a goal of getting to seven figures. He's a, a um, AE. And when I asked him why, because I always ask why, he thought, and he was really honest. And he said, honestly, it's validation. And if that's the goal, it will be a painful process. So it has to come from that place of already feeling worthy and already feeling validated outside of the amount of money you're making. But I'll, I mean, I'll share a, a personal experience. I had something like that happen earlier this year where I had signed a bunch of really big contracts. They were like, I thought they were floating our revenue for a while. And then multiple clients within one month defaulted on their contracts. And it was a, it was not a fun time. <laughs> Just put it that way. It was not a fun time. And the wisdom that I acquired from that and the growth that I had from that, because I truly do believe now it's easier to say it afterwards than when you're in it, but everything is happening for us. So with hindsight, I can look at that and say, there was wisdom I needed to acquire 
in order to be able to grow more sustainably moving forward and in order to be more discerning with the type of clients that I take on and that I say no to as well. And so it was some pain. I rebuilt. We're good. I'm much wiser than I was before, but make it, you can't make it all about the numbers all the time. It has to be, who are you becoming in the process? Let that be the win the money follows. And when your identity isn't wrapped up in that, you'll be able to weather those storms much easier. Ian? Yeah. I want to, I want to, I had a conversation with Scott about this last week. We were chatting offline and like one of the things, like I was pacing for a certain amount of revenue. I think I crossed a million like mid year or something. And I stopped, I said, I'm going to stop my revenue right now because my time was being constrained. And I had three lines of business, um, half my revenue, really was coming from business to business. The other half was business to consumer, right? So I did private coaching and then I did this, I, I shared this with Richard as well. Um, I did I did sales training and I also did advisory services. Well, I wasn't that fulfilled by advisory services. That was me advising, you know, sales leaders or startups on how to grow their sales work. So I made an active decision to partner with Scott and start sending clients that way because that wasn't where my long-term vision was. Um, on the B2B side, I wasn't very fulfilled because a lot of the people who were doing the training didn't want to be there. No offense to me, but fundamentally their company was pay- making them go to this training. It wasn't something they wanted to invest in. And I said, you know what? My vision for myself is to work with and support people who want to invest in themselves, who want to take action, who are sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I'm not just going to do it to make money from the company. I mean, it's great, but honestly, the, the money wasn't guiding my decisions, right? What's guiding the decisions is the vision of who and where I want to take my business. So that's going to mean half of my revenue source is gone. Now, I don't know yet what that's going to look like for 2023, but I know directionally it's likely going to be a little step back in income, but I can feel good about it knowing that that's my decision and I'm not chasing the money. What I'm chasing is the bigger vision of the impact I want to make and in, in, in the services, in the time, and where I want to spend that, right? I'm only going to spend time on things that genu- genuinely light me up and I feel passionate about. So I think if you know why your income is going down and you take a step back and that's part of the plan, there's always going to be a point where you take a step back to take two or three steps forward. So that's the key. If you're only chasing the money and the money's going, you drop it, you're, you're just going to feel shitty. And that's the, you're chasing the wrong thing. So chase the vision, chase the big picture, chase development, growth, and, and again, the money eventually will catch up with you because of the person you become in that process of taking a step back. Unless, and lest any of you think we all have this entirely figured out, listen to what just happened. If, if, if you know me, you know that every now and then I drop a question that is specifically all about me. That was my question for the session that is all about me. Ian kindly didn't reveal, but I reached out to, to him because I'm currently struggling with this. And Elise just said, you know, can't get your identity, can't make it all about the money. This is like my number one flaw in terms of self on self crime. By far, it's what made me such an achiever and, and somebody who's all about the numbers. I've always managed to go up, 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 working on this short period of time, high sense of urgency, all this kind of thing. But any fallback, and I'm like, I struggle bad. And Elise said she had challenges this year. Ian's talking about it. We're all, even those of us who've got to this place still struggle with this and are still trying to figure it all out, right? So appreciate everybody spending some time with us uh, and I hope you enjoyed this Servant Sales Bonfire session. Big thanks to Elise Archer and Ian Cognac, as well as my friend Richard Harris, who's currently on mute where he belongs. Thanks once again to our sponsors over at Outreach, Scratchpad, Sendoso, Vidyard, and MedRep Meeting. And most of all, thanks to all of you who spent some time with us today. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time, everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Thanks, everyone. Everyone, bye-bye.